Mark Twain and Pearl Jam. Believe it or not, there's a connection. Hang with me as we go through this. As we talk about a very, in my opinion, underutilized, underused, actually, because utilized is too big a word, underused technique in communication called pausing. That's right. Silence. Silence that has, as you've heard before, that silence can, can be very loud. In actuality, that's what I want you to think about. What is the role of silence in how you communicate? And let's be clear, I'm talking about the communication with yourself and the communication with others. I'm hoping by the end of this little talk that I'm doing today that you will more actively search for ways to create deliberate pause in your communication and conversational life. Now, I remember thinking years ago when I read this book, and here comes the Mark Twain part. I promised you that. Mark Twain had this very interesting note about using pause in writing. And he, as the great writer he was, became somewhat uh, famous for using pause. And they asked him, basically, to write about why pause was such a big deal. And here's what he said. The pause, that impressive silence, that eloquent silence, that geometrically progressive silence, which often achieves a desired effect, where no combination of words, no combination of words, how, howsoever felicitous, could accomplish it. His point resonated with me that day, and it resonates with me as I listen to the hundreds, maybe thousands of conversations that I have been privy to in my work, is that generally there is much, much too much noise and sound when people are endeavoring to influence. And if you are looking to be whatever you will call more effective or better at communication, I'm going to suggest to you a few ways today, very specifically, that you can deliberately incorporate pause into your work, into your personal relationships, and in my opinion, most importantly, into yourself. So let's start. Let's first look at where pause plays a role in a very, very large sense. I will not drag you through the obvious relevance of the time that we are in. I will only tell you that everybody has who's writing about this and thinking about this, at least many people have said that we are in a global pause. Now, the question is, what have you been doing over the past, what is it now, three months or so? What have you been doing with this chance to pause? My hope for you and I'll be honest, what I have certainly endeavored to do on as regular a basis as possible is to slow down, is to endeavor to learn something about what is going on, to learn from it, and not only to look 
at what's going on, but more specifically to observe it, to study it, to be much more highly aware of what this present moment has created for us, both in terms of the fear and the sickness and the death, but also in terms of how you have taken the opportunity to help yourself grow and hopefully to help others. Have you taken, for example, a chance to examine what your true priorities are? And more than that, have you sought to understand more fully and pay attention to what the priorities and the concerns are of others? Because this cultural pause, global pause, has allowed us a very unique, yes, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do that. So in the spirit of that, I've talked to a number of clients and friends and family, and people have all started using the same word about trying to understand the meaning of all of this. Meaning and meaningfulness are very, very popular and hot words right now. But I remembered reading something that I want to share today that will only make sense to you if you really pause and think about it. And that is written, it was proffered first by um, Dr. Viktor Frankl, who wrote the famous psychological treatise uh, out of his time at Auschwitz in World War II. And he observed that people who were faced with that uh, imprisonment, that forced confinement, that he thought that it seemed to him that the people who did the best, who managed somehow to, to scrape and claw through that, they weren't asking what the meaning of life was at that time. They were looking more definitely, and he suggests it very loudly in his writing, that we should figure out not what we should expect of life, but what life expects of us. What life expects of us. And then live into that through what he called right action and right conversation. So that is the opportunity we have had most recently. And I would argue that even as we return to work or return to the beach or wherever we're going to go as we get out, that we actually have the opportunity to slow and to think now more than ever. And we will have even more as our future approaches. So where else can pause make a difference in our life? The first one that comes to mind is one that if you know me at all, it might not surprise you. I, I am a heavy practitioner, at least a daily practitioner of mindfulness. Call it meditation. Um, call it sitting still and breathing, whatever you want. And I have found that that probably, that 10-minute pause every day to cut out the world and to close my eyes and to find my breath that that has made for me, and I can pile the research up in front of you to, to block the light that will tell you the incredible health benefits, uh, emotional benefits, especially in challenging times, 
that a mindfulness practice has. And for those who want to find out more about that, look up mindfulness on Google. But I'd like you to think about another way where I've helped some clients um, in a, what they say was a, a surprising thought. And that is, as you're about to hop on the Zoom call, or if at whatever point you go back to the office, I'd like you to think about the power of pause in preparation for a meeting. Now, I have heard just in the last week at least half a dozen clients say they really haven't been able to do any work because they've been back-to-back in meetings all day long. That, to me, is a red flag of uh, communication, Meaning, meaning that I am hunching those folks simply, simply did not find a way to pause in their day. Think about those last 30 seconds before you walk into the meeting or hop on the screen. What are you thinking about? If you've been slammed in back-to-back, I'm hunching pretty confidently that you're not thinking about how to be effective in the next meeting. I think there is, is what they call residue left over from the last meeting. So what I'm suggesting very specifically, as you prepare for the next meeting, take 30 seconds, put your feet on the floor, and become present in what is about to happen. On top of that, if you could take part of that 30 seconds and be able to envision in your head some of the Success that may come if you and your colleagues show up in the right way to that meeting and that you then make that contribution yourself. That I'm going to bet those meetings that everybody say says suck so bad, they're going to suck less. And that's a worthy goal within itself, all from the 30-second pause. So take that 30 seconds. Take one, two, if you really want to push it, take five deep breaths and envision a good meeting before it starts. Now, where else can we use pause? Let's get specifically to the act of interpersonal for the moment, interpersonal between two people or with a, in a presentation setting. Let's think about what works there. This is where I tell the story, and I have to change the language a little bit. And you'll tell, you can tell where I do it. Uh, I was a, a one of my early avocations was to be an actor, uh, and I was uh, in a play in uh, in college where there was a scene where the star, the guy in the lead, had this monologue to speak to the audience, and it was a great speech. He was dying; it was very dramatic. And it was a moment that was just perfect for this guy. His name was Scott. So one night at rehearsal, Scott gets up on stage and he is, as they say, you know, he was tearing down the scenery. He was actually overdoing it. You could tell that Scott was so lost in the enjoyment of the moment that he had lost us all as fellow cast members. And if it was an actual performance, he would have lost the audience. 
Hang with me on the example. It has everything to do with pause. So the director interrupted Scott, and in a slightly off-color bit of dialogue, he said, Scott, I have a question for you before we go on. As you were just doing that monologue, were you trying to make love to the audience, or were you just standing up there pleasing yourself? Now, he used the different language that you probably just thought of, but that was the point. And I think about that every time when I sit at a coffee shop and I hear the woman next to me talking to the guy and she just doesn't stop talking. Or the guy takes over in the conversation and he starts making a bunch of statements rather than asking curious questions. So it is two people who are, to stick with my director's um, uh, language, who are there to please themselves rather than to connect in a deep way with their audience. And that is one of the most dysfunctional components of ineffective communication, where the person who is there does not take the time to center themselves, become present in a purpose that is located in help and focused in helping the other person in the conversation. The only way you get there, the only way you can get there is to, in essence, again, plant your feet and understand and comprehend the purpose and the power of the right kind of conversation. I challenge you to ask more questions, genuine questions, not the type that you already know the answer to, but ask more questions versus the number of statements that you make. How many conversations have you sat in at work or in your family where there were literally no questions and they were full of, as I call them, little tiny speeches? That is dysfunctional. That is toxic in important relationships. Listen to yourself. That's what the pause allows you to do. Listen to yourself and see how long you're going without stopping. Even if it's a story about yourself, even if it's that, keep it short. Invite other people into your story and look to understand theirs. Last place where you can certainly, certainly be much more powerful, influential, and respected, and most importantly to me, trusted, and that's in public speaking. Now, we'll do work later on down the road. You'll hear much more from what's going on here with DrewKugler.com about public speaking. But I want you to think about this. How much do you use deliberate pause in your presentations? How much do you really just think about it? Do you use the pace and tone of your voice to allow and help the listener comprehend the importance of why you are standing or speaking in front of them. I have witnessed thousands of presentations, and I can tell you that an inordinately high percentage of them have been rushed, have been more monotone than with any variation, and at the end of it, 
I think to myself, let alone what the audience thinks, why did I have to go through that? What was the value to me? It got lost and it got lost in the lack of pausing. Because when you pause, think of it this way. When you pause, what happens is you give your audience, even in a microsecond, you give the audience's brain a chance to work and a chance to comprehend. Because imagine this, you write out your presentation on a sheet of paper, whatever it is, but imagine if the entire sheet was filled with ink and there was no white space. How are you supposed to be able to understand and take anything away from that document? That is the same problem from a speech that you rush through. There simply is not enough white space. And that is why presentations continue to this day to be the absolute albatross around the shoulders of many, many, many executives, professionals, academics, and all the rest. So there is another opportunity. Help the listener by finding places to pause. Now, as I said at the top, you're wondering, when's he getting to the Pearl Jam point? Some of you may have seen the um, documentary on ESPN here recently, which was such a hit because there was nothing else to watch on ESPN, uh, on Michael Jordan. And the point that they made about along all the skills that Mr. Jordan had was his incredible ability to be present. And as you will find, the more you work on your pausing, the more present you will feel. There's an inextricable link there, okay? So he became famous for his ability to block everything out, lock in on the moment uh, he was in and be able to uh, execute at the uh, stratospherically high level that he did. So at the end of this documentary, there's a song that's played, and it's called Present Tense by Pearl Jam. And I was listening very carefully. Of course, the music and the tone was perfect for the end of the documentary. But then I went and I read the lyrics. And perhaps this, these lyrics imply or articulate the best reason to pause and to create more presence. They said that you can spend your time alone redigesting past regrets. Or you can come to terms and realize that you're the only one who can forgive yourself. And as Eddie Vedder sings at the end, makes much more sense to live in the present tense. So when I was thinking about that, and as I begin to conclude here, it's really not just about a conversation. It is about developing moments throughout your day only fueled by the ability and the willingness to pause and to be present, to put your feet on the ground and to feel them there that will strengthen not only your meetings, not only your speeches, but allow you 
most importantly, a way to not only find that meaning that we all have been looking for in this recent past, but to perhaps at its highest level embrace and pursue what Dr. Frankel talked about. What does your life expect of you? Of you? That's a really good question.